journey. Great to see every one of you here today. Really excited that you're here. I've been excited about this series. If you weren't here last week, we're in a series that we're calling Covered in Dust. And the big idea of this series is we're thinking about this idea of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And what does it mean to be involved in discipleship? Because if this was one of the most important things that Jesus said when he left this earth, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. We want to get our mind around that. We want to get our lives around that. And where we got the title for this, from this idea of being covered in dust, if you weren't here last week, this idea of the ancient rabbinical teachings were such that a student would follow the rabbi in a way that they would seek to be everything that the rabbi was. They would want to be like him in their character And in every way, they would want to do the things that the rabbi did. And so in the first century, when you would see the rabbis out there walking around Jerusalem, you would see this group of disciples right behind them doing everything that they did. And there was a saying that went around. They said, be covered in the dust of your rabbi, that you would follow him so closely that you would actually, you would be covered in the dust of his sandals. And so as we think about discipleship for us today, we're thinking about our discipleship to Jesus. And so if we want to be covered in the dust of Jesus, what we're trying to say is we want to be like him. We want to look at his life and his character in every way we want to imitate him. We want to look at the ministry that he did when he was here on this earth, the things that he was about, and we want for ourselves to be about those things. A disciple simply imitates the life of Jesus. And as we've been thinking about how we're going to unpack that, we've been thinking about these three relational dimensions in the life of Jesus, as is characterized by this triangle here. One dimension in the life of Jesus was this up dimension that he had, this relationship that he had with the Father, that he was constantly hearing and responding to the voice of the Father in his life. A second thing is this in relationship that he had with the family of God. One of the very first things that Jesus did when he came to this earth and he started his ministry was he called a spiritual family to himself. And he began to build his life into them and to teach them how to build their life into the life of other people. But it wasn't just about the family of God. There was a broken world out there. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so he took this family and he turned it inside out and he focused it outward Because he says, I want to give my help and I want to give my hope to the whole world. And he wants to use us. So there was an out component to Jesus' life. And one of my favorite parts that we talked about last week is when Jesus called people to follow him, it wasn't like you had to be the person that was up here. He didn't just call the best of the best. He called regular, average Joes, just like me and just like you. He called the blue-collar fishermen and said, come, follow me. He even took some people that were the bottom of the barrel, the tax collectors, the people that everybody looked down on, and he said, come, follow me, because I think you have what it takes to be a disciple. I want us to to dive in today with the topic. I want us to think about one simple question. What is it that God really wants from me? What is it that God really wants? Wants for me. If you could just sit across the table from God and you could just look him eyeball to eyeball, even though he doesn't have eyeballs, and you just say, What is it that you really want from me? What do you think he would say? 
And if you asked a lot of people out there, if you asked a lot of people in this room and others, what do you think it is that God really wants from us? And I've done this a lot of times over my life. Just ask people that question. What do you think that God really wants? And this is what happens most of the time. There starts to develop a list of things that they share. And primarily the list of things is this. There's a lot of things that they feel like God wants me to do. I think he wants me to love people. I think he wants me to serve people. He probably wants me to be a good husband. He probably wants me to be a good mother or father. He wants me to be an example for people. I think God probably wants me to read my Bible, probably wants me to pray. And then on the other side, there's this whole list of things that I think he doesn't want me to do, kind of the Ten Commandments type things. And so we kind of get this picture, like if we just kind of get our ducks in a row, get our lists in order of all these things that God wants me to do and not do, that that's what's going to make God pleased with me. I kind of picture it like this. I kind of picture that what most people are really thinking is, I've got to build a resume with God. All these lists of do's and don'ts, I need to build a resume with him so that I can earn this kind of favor with him so that God will look down on my life and just say, you, right there, you've got it together. And so we get about how do we build this resume? What are the things that God wants me to do and not do? And when we start doing those things, we can feel good about ourselves. And when we're not doing those things, we can feel disappointed in ourselves. But we oftentimes have this mindset, it's about what I do. God doesn't want you to build a spiritual resume for him. It's not like someday we're gonna be able to see him when we get to heaven Show up at the pearly gates, which I don't think actually exist, probably the way that they're taught about in Sunday schools. I don't think we're going to show up there and just say, Jesus, here's my resume. This is what I've done for you. And that that's what's going to be exciting to him. Because this is not what he wants. But what is it that he really wants? At the end of the day, if he were to boil it down to one thing, what is the one thing that he wants? Jesus didn't want us to be confused about this at all. This is what he communicated in a prayer that he was praying while he was here on earth. As he was praying to the Father, this is what he said in John 17, 3. The main thing that it's about. He says, now this is eternal life. Meaning this is what life is about. This is the most important thing. This is what life is about here on earth and for all of eternity. This is the most important thing. That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said at the end of the day when all of the dust settles and we stand before Jesus, the one thing that's going to matter to him is did you know me? Did you have a relationship with me? He's going to say it's not about your resume. It's about a relationship that you grew with me. That's what he wants for us. And it's not this kind of relationship at a distance When the Bible talks about us knowing him, it's not like I I intellectually know about him and he's kind of off there. I read some things about him. I listen to some teachings about him. When he talks about knowing him, he's talking about an intimate, personal experience of him that we actually know what it's like to be in the presence of God. We know what it's like to be with him. We know what it's like to hear his voice. There's a very personal side to God. He wants us to know him. I was thinking about it like this. Like, what if you came up to me and asked me about my marriage? And I started to describe my marriage to you in this way. Well, I provide. 
for my wife. I take care of the bills. Um, I do the card on anniversaries and birthdays, sometimes even dinner on those days. I, I do the yard work. I help out with the kids. I, and I just went down the list of all these things that I do. If you heard me describe my marriage in that way, women, if you heard your husband describe his marriage in that way, you would think, I don't like him thinking like that. There's got to be more to it than that. It's just not about the things that we do. What is it that we wanna hear about? We wanna hear about love. We wanna hear maybe even about passion. Maybe we wanna hear about how do we persevere in the challenges of life. We wanna think about intimacy. Are we connected at a heart level? I wanna hear about time together. Why is it that those would be the things that matter to us most when we think about a marriage? Because that is a reflection of who God is. The reason it matters to us is because it matters to God. We, friends, are made in his image. And the reason we long for those things is because that's what God is like. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't want us to look at our relationship with him and just think about it in terms of doing things for him. He wants to invite us into a real, personal relationship with him, marked by experience of him. But here's the problem. Jesus knows how we're wired as well. And he knows it's very easy for us to get those things confused. We can start equating what we're doing for God as, our, as an evidence of our relationship or our knowing and experiencing him. This is what Jesus warned people in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. This is what he said. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, he said, many, not, not just a couple, not just a few. He said, many people will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see what it is at the end of the day, that's what matters to Jesus. It's not about the things that we do for him. It's about knowing him. It's about that relationship with him. And this is how I think about it. I think if we were to try to come up to Jesus and say, look at my resume. Look at what I've done for you. Jesus would say, I don't want your resume. That's not what matters to me. I don't want your resume. I want you. I want your heart. I want you to experience me in real, in real and very tangible ways. But you know what Jesus wants to do with your resume? He wants to do something that might be a little bit of a surprise to some of you. He doesn't want us to show it to him because if we were really honest, our resume isn't just about things that we've tried to do well for God. Our resume, quite honestly, is gonna be littered with lots of sin, lots of brokenness, lots of rebellion against God, he's gonna look at our resume and he's gonna say, that's a big piece of who you are. I don't want you to hand that to me in that way. But you know what he wants to do? He actually wants to take this resume away from us. This is how Paul explained this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Now let me try to explain this just for a second. It says, God made him who knew no sin 
Who is that? He's talking about Jesus. And this is what he's talking about is on the resume of Jesus, it's just perfect. It's holy. It's completely righteous. He who had no sin. But what does it say that he did with our sin? It says that he actually became sin for us. This is the picture of what Jesus wants to do with our resume. He wants to take our resume away from us. The sin, the brokenness, the guilt, the shame. And he actually wants to take it and take the penalty for it upon himself. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ is about. He took upon himself the pain and the suffering for our resume. As if that wasn't great enough, what else does it say that Jesus did? It said, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So not only does he take our resume upon himself, you know what he does? He takes his resume and he gives it to us. This pure, holy, righteous resume. He said, I'm gonna take the junk from you and I'm gonna give you my righteousness. This is a beautiful picture of what it means to come into a relationship with God. He takes our sin and we get Christ's righteousness. Now when I hear that, I just think, who wouldn't just jump at the chance for that? Who wouldn't want that to be true of them? A God that loves me so much that he would be willing to do that. That Jesus so wants to have that kind of intimate, personal relationship with me that I can experience him. That he would say, I would rather die than spend eternity apart from you. This is a God that says, I want to know you. I don't want your resume. I want you. But Jesus talks about a picture of what it looks like for us to take that resume of Jesus and to offer our resume to him. He talks about it in Revelation 3.20. He's speaking to a church here in Laodicea. And this is a church that their heart has grown cold from him. Once was on fire, but now has grown cold. And he says, I want to invite you in. I want to come into your life. This is how he describes it in Revelation 3.20. This is this picture of surrendering ourselves to God. Jesus says this, he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Jesus says, I'm right here. And I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking for you. And then there's a conditional clause. If anyone hears my voice and does what? Opens the door. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It was a picture of coming in and sitting around the table was a picture of intimacy. It was a picture of invitation to relationship, an invitation to acceptance. When Jesus talked about having a meal with them, that's what he's saying right there. I want you to know me. I want you to experience me. I want you to experience my acceptance of you. But here's what's interesting about this door. There's only one doorknob on this door and that doorknob's on the inside. Only we can open that door. Jesus is not gonna ninja kick that door down and bust into our life. We need to open the door. If anyone opens the door, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I think it would be helpful for us, every one of us to think about where is that door in my life right now where I sit where you sit, where is that door in your life? Maybe for some of you, that door is completely wide open. You've just heard that knock and you threw the door wide open. You gave Jesus 
complete access to your life, surrendered complete control of every area of your life to him. Maybe some of you, the the door is kind of open. I've opened up the door and I've given Jesus pieces of my life, but there's pieces of my life where I'm keeping the door closed. I've got these walled off to him. I'm not gonna give him control of those. I'm not gonna surrender those to him. And maybe some of you, you're just at that place where you're just kind of peeking out the door a little bit, just thinking about who is this Jesus character? Can I trust him to invite him into my life? Can I give him control of my life? And maybe some of you are at this place where there's just distrust toward God. There's hurt in your life and the door is just closed. But friends, every one of us, Jesus is knocking and he's saying, will you open the door? What would keep us from grabbing a hold of this opportunity to give our sin to Jesus and to take Christ's righteousness upon ourselves? Jesus, in his life, he showed us what it looks like in the rhythm of life to live this kind of open door life with God the Father. And I was thinking about sharing every scripture from the New Testament or the gospels around Jesus and all the scriptures that talked about Jesus spending time with the Father in relationship with him. It got so overwhelming, the number of them, that I thought I've just gotta give them just a little bit of a smattering or it'll take all day. This is what the scripture says. While it was still dark, Jesus went to a solitary place to pray, to experience relationship with the Father. He left them and went up on the mountainside to pray, to spend time with the Father. Jesus often went, not now and then, he often went to lonely places to pray. Jesus spent the whole night praying to God. In just a casual reading of the life of Jesus, you see this was the rhythm of his life. He lived his life in relationship with God, wide open, allowing the Father to speak to him in every way into his life. That was the rhythm of his life. And you know what you notice about the life of Jesus? He was never frantic. When you read the gospel, you just never see Jesus in a hurry. He's never rushing around because there was just a centeredness, a settledness, because he knew exactly what it was that the Father was asking him to do. And this is what he said in John 5, 19, because he was being challenged on some of the things that he was doing. But he was absolutely convinced that this is just what the Father is asking me to do. John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. This is what that rhythm was like. Jesus would pull away and he would spend time with the father, listening to the voice of the father. And whatever it was that the father would say to him, That's what he would live out. He would live it out in absolute obedience. And this is what I found interesting is when you think about the life of the disciples following Jesus around and watching this part of his life, there was one time where they came to the place where they were watching what Jesus was doing and they came up to Jesus and they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And this is what I find interesting about that is these were good Jewish boys. They'd grown up in the Jewish culture They'd spent their whole life praying. They'd been saying prayers their whole life. But as they watched Jesus, 
They thought there is something different about the rabbi. There's something that's going on in this up dimension with him and how he's connecting his heart to the father and hearing from him that's way different from what we see going on in our own life. And they came to him and they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And that's exactly what Jesus did. But he invites us into the same thing to model the way the disciples modeled after him, that seeking after the Father. Jesus invites every one of us to experience that as well, that connection with him. And Jesus talks about this. He gives us this metaphor of a shepherd and sheep that this is what it'd be like for us to have that kind of up component of our life where we're hearing from the voice of God and responding to him in obedience. John chapter 10, three through five, this is what Jesus says. He says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. What do they do? They listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and then he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him. They follow him wherever he goes. Why do they follow him? Because they know his voice. They know what it's like to hear the voice of the shepherd. But they will never, ever follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that what God wants for us is that he wants for us to learn to hear his voice. That we learn to hear those nudges in our life when God is speaking to us and wanting to tell us something so that we can, just like these sheep, we can hear his voice and we can follow him wherever it is that he's leading. But friends, I've got to say, this is not easy. This is not a trivial thing because there are so many voices that are competing for our attention in life? Are there not? There's so many things that are bombarding us and telling us things, so many voices. There's those tempting voices that just say, you know, life really isn't about knowing God. Life is about this. If you grab a hold of this, this is what's gonna make you feel better. This is what's gonna make your life whole. There's those tempting voices that call us away from God. There's those accusing voices in our life that look at what you've done. Look at what a mess you've made of your life. There's those shaming voices. You're such a loser. Why would, why would anybody want to be around you? There's those lying voices. Those lying voices that say God doesn't really care about you. If God really cared about you, you wouldn't be going through these things in life. He doesn't love you. All these voices and things that are going on around us, voices of the world, voices of the evil one. But God says in the midst of that, you've got to run away from that because those are strangers' voices. That's not my voice. You need to learn to hear my voice. And we learn to hear his voice by cultivating a life of sitting at his feet and learning to hear him, learning to hear what his voice is like. Because at the end of the day, it's not about us doing things for God. It's about us being with him. It's not about us building a resume for God. It's about us building a relationship with him. And we cultivate that by removing the distractions of life and sitting at Jesus' feet. There's a story, it's one of my favorites in the New Testament around this topic. It comes from Luke chapter 10, the story of Mary 
and Martha. Many of you would have heard this before. Starting in verse 38, here's how the story goes. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now let's think about this story just for a little bit. The disciples are traveling by Mary and Martha's town, and they needed a place to stay. And so Martha, she's just built to serve. She's just always looking for opportunities to serve. So of course she would invite the rabbi and all of those close to him into her home. But this requires that she has to make a meal. I mean, she can't just run to Costco and grab a bunch of like rotisserie chickens or something. She's actually got to make food. Not a small thing for a large amount of guests. And she's honored by the fact that Jesus is there. She's honored by the fact that the rabbi has come to her house. But interestingly enough, as Jesus is in the house, he slips away and he starts to teach. And Mary, hearing Jesus start to teach, suddenly she kind of slips away from the preparations and she starts to move over to sit at the feet of Jesus because she wants to hear what Jesus has to say. And this isn't a new place for Mary. You've heard stories of Mary before in the New Testament. In John chapter 12, this is the same Mary that sat down at the feet of Jesus and had that pint jar of pure nard, incredibly expensive perfume that she broke open and anointed Jesus with that because she loved him. She loved being at his feet. Her life was about him. She loved to be at his feet worshiping. Mary's excited to be able to listen to the rabbi teach. Now Martha, not so excited for Mary, as we can see. She actually becomes a little bit jealous. I mean, she starts to see there's this incredible amount of work that needs to be done. And now Mary has slipped off and now all the work is falling on my shoulders. And you know how that starts in life, don't you? you just, it was probably just a little bit of an irritation as Mary slipped away. But then that irritation starts to grow over time and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow in our life until we get to that place where we're just about ready to lose it. Martha gets to the place where she's completely ticked off. And I just kind of imagine Martha. She's probably working in the kitchen. Every once in a while, she like slams a pot down, just hoping that it kind of, those in the living room can hear what's going on. You know, maybe she walks out there and starts to wipe her brow just to let people know, I'm doing lots of stuff for lots of people. Nobody's paying attention to me. Probably in the kitchen, clearing her throat. <clears throat> Mary, how about a little help in here? But Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus and this builds and builds until finally Martha gets to the place where she stomps up to Jesus and she bursts out. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. 
Okay, this is how you know that you've gotten into a bad spot in your life. You lose your temper with Jesus. That's when you know you're in a bad place. And then you start telling him what to do. That's when you know that you're not in a good spot. But how, how does Jesus respond to this? Does he power up? Say, do you realize who you're talking to? I'm the son of God. How about a little respect? Doesn't respond like that at all. In fact, he responds incredibly gently, but he also responds with great clarity. And I just kind of imagine that he might have just put her, his hands on her shoulders, that he could have her attention and look her right in the eye, maybe even just grabbing her cheeks gently. And this is what he says to her. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, so many things going on, but few things are actually needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. A couple things I want us to reflect on. What did Jesus not say? Did he tell Martha that the work that she was doing was unimportant? Not at all. What she was doing was incredibly important. And you can see that Martha is just wired to serve and to serve people. And this is a great reflection of what it means for us to even follow Jesus and be covered in the dust of the rabbi because you know what? Jesus is like that too. He is a servant. In fact, he said this, I didn't come to this earth to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Martha is doing a beautiful thing and reflecting the life of a disciple, reflecting the life of Jesus. But this is what Jesus wants her to catch. He said, there's one thing and it's way more important and that's being with me. Be with me, Martha, listen to me. Know what's on my heart for you. Know what it is that I'm saying to you. So Martha, if you have to choose between doing something for me and being with me, a hundred times out of a hundred, pick being with me. Martha, I don't need you to build your resume for, you, for me. I need you to be with me. I need you to build your relationship with me. Always choose that up relationship with me, Martha. Be in my presence. I want you to hear my voice. It's not the resume. It's about your relationship. So how is it that we as followers of Jesus start to cultivate this into our own life? What does this look like for us to live the kind of rhythm in this up relationship with the Father that Jesus did when he was here. Rather than just tell you how to do that, I've asked some friends of mine, Matt and Sarah West, that have been building this into their own life over a season to share some of the things that God has been teaching them as they've been engaging in this up relationship with God. My up time with the Lord has really kind of transitioned over the last few years from being something that in the past, I think I felt like it was more of an obligation that I would do once in a while to now where I've really realized for me, the best way to be able to hear God clearly, like consistently, is to be up before the kids get up and I don't have any distractions and I can sit and drink a cup of coffee and write in a journal and be able to just really have things focused. 
I need that daily rhythm of just time with the Lord where I have a chance for no distractions, no noise, and be able to just really focus on Him. And I usually just go through like some sort of Bible plan, like a Bible in the year sort of thing or something like that. But the biggest like value piece of it, I would say, is is actually sitting for a little while and asking God how this applies to me and what He would want me to hear from His Word. And then from that, what would he have me do as a result of it? That's really made it so that this isn't just kind of a theoretical thing, but it started to become where I can actually bring God into my everyday life and hear him saying to me um, areas that he wants me to notice or to change or to reach out to someone or any of those sort of things. So it starts to become much more real. I feel like my times with the Lord look different than Matt's. I'm not a morning person, so I'm not up consistently like he is before the kids. But I feel like I get those times throughout the day in different ways. Uh, One of the ways is just through listening to music in the car as I take the kids to activities or to school. We pray on the way to school, and we usually use the same landmark as a reminder, like, oh, it's time to pray. Don't forget to pray. That's been fun to see them learn and kind of remember on some days that I don't even remember. I feel like when I do hear God start to teach me something or point something out in my life, I'll pray about it with him, but then I'll also take it to both Matt and to other friends that we meet with during our huddle or our missional community, and I'll run it by them. I'll process the details and how I'm feeling about it and what else God is saying to me in that situation. And then I usually ask them to help keep me accountable and to check in and see if I'm I'm following through with what God has asked me to do. One thing I feel like God has been teaching me through my times with Him is just to keep showing up, just through hard times and really exciting times of seeing God work, that He's going to be there through each of those steps. Another way I've seen the up dimension play out um, in our lives has really been more on kind of a weekly rhythm of doing things like meeting with with friends that are close and know what's going on in our life, just talking through what God's been bringing up and being able to process that and and have accountability with other people in that. I think God speaks to me a lot just through other people and what they're learning. Mm -hmm. I walk away from times like that where I'm like, oh, I think that was actually for me and not, I mean, it might have been for them too, but it Mm -hmm. just really spoke to me. I feel like God was nudging me like, this is for you, this can encourage you between busyness and just like being conditioned to just solve everything yourself and and um, work hard and those sort of things causes me to often just just forget about inviting God into the day-to-day quote-unquote little things of life you know I, I come in to church oftentimes in in one of two states one being just it's been crazy we just kind of come skidding in and sit down and and God has to kind of like change the whole direction that we've kind of started the morning and then other times we've actually had like good time with him in the morning before we come in and it's just always such a richer time of worship with him so I I don't know I guess I've noticed that the the just small little even five minutes of of consistent time with him really does um, kind of build on itself. And then as we get other times with him, like coming to church or, or worshiping with friends or those sort of things, it just brings a, a richer depth to that, those times. The things that Matt and Sarah shared that I just want to emphasize is that piece of building a rhythm into our life, that we create the space for God to be able to speak into our life. I love the way Sarah said that. She just said, keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Believe and be expectant that if I keep showing up, God is going to speak into my life. He's going to 
His kingdom is going to break through. Just keep showing up. And I also love the fact that they describe that it's different for everyone. Not every one of us is going to hear from God in the same way and in the same environment. But we've got to figure out what does that look like for me? How can I experiment with some things to be able to, how do I put myself in those places where I can genuinely hear what God wants to say to me? And I really love the idea that you involve other people. It's not just this thing that we do off by ourselves, but we actually invite other people into it. So as God is speaking to us, other people are listening to that and helping us hear and discern what it is that God is saying and holding us accountable for those things that God is inviting us to do. And those just those simple questions, God, what is it that you want to say to me? And what is it that you want me to do about it that gives feet to our vision, that gives traction to our faith? As I was thinking about the biggest challenge that people have in terms of making the kind of space that we're talking about here, I just think about when I, when I talk with people about spending time with God, the thing that I just hear first and foremost all the time, I just don't have time. I have absolutely no time in my life for that. And as I was reflecting on that, there was this picture that kept coming to my mind. And it's actually kind of a silly picture, but it wouldn't go away. So I, I feel like the Lord wants me to share this picture was that Jesus was on the side of the road and there's that invitation that he's offering for us to open the door of our life to him. But he's on the side of the road and we're in a car and we're driving like 80 miles an hour. And here's what I know is true of probably most of the people in this room. If I were to come down there and ask you, do you want to hear what God has to say to you? I'm thinking everyone's gonna throw their arm up in the air and say, absolutely, I want to hear what God has to say to me. But the reality is, is that most of the time we're spending our life at 80 miles an hour. And this was kind of the picture of what we try to do. Jesus on the side of the road. We try to roll down the window. And as we're zooming by, we're hoping that somehow we can hear a... And Jesus has got to work really, really hard to try to get whatever he wants to say. And as we're zooming by, that's the picture of how I think we live our life sometimes. But friends, what if this happened? What if instead of zooming by at 80 miles an hour, every once in a while we would start to tap the brakes a little bit and create a little bit more space, maybe 70 miles an hour. Maybe we would be able to hear a little bit more of the voice of God in our life if we gave him a little bit more space. What if we got it down to 50 miles an hour? Maybe 40, 30. What if, let's just get crazy here now. What if we actually slowed down and we stopped the car in front of Jesus and rolled down the window and just allowed him to speak into our lives? What if we gave him that kind of access? What if we actually got out of the car every once in a while, turned the car off, and just said, Jesus, let's, let's go for a walk. I've got some things going on in life. I just need to hear from you right now. What would happen, do you think, if on an increasing way we started to give God more space in our life? Here's what I know would happen. You would start to hear his voice more regularly you would start to be able to discern his voice from all these other voices that are competing for your attention. That's what God wants. He wants us to know him. I just think I want to encourage all of us. Let's get rid of the resume. God is not so concerned about us building a resume for him as he is building a relationship. Let's create the space to hear and respond to him. I want to ask you to set your things aside and I'm just going to ask that we would start this process right now. Right where you're at, I just want to ask you to create some space. And I want you to, before the Father, before the Son, before the Holy Spirit, 
Just say, God, is there anything right now that you wanna say to me? And God, what is it that you want me to do about it? Let's just start this process right now. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.